Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. It's a bonus day here on the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch as we have the Football by Numbers series. And we are joined by Joe Ziemba to go over the greatest number 31s that ever played in the NFL. We'll have a top 10 list coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we're podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron, one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff supplying us with the tunes, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com, and welcome once again to your Football by Numbers edition. The episode today, we are going to talk about the greatest number 31s that ever played in the NFL. And to help me with this uh, really tough task today, I brought in a veteran historian and author and podcast host, Joe Ziemba is with us once again. Joe Ziemba, welcome back to the Pigpen. Darren, thank you once again for having me. And, and really the pleasure is mine because I don't have much life except talking about old football players. So you are really helping me out here, giving me oh. something to do. I love it. Oh, not as much as you're helping us out, my friend. You're, you're Me and the listeners, we are getting quite the education on football history every time we get to talk to you. And we really enjoy it and appreciate your time. But Joe, before we get going here, there's a question that's been uh, in my mind a little bit. And that, I mean, you have your, your book, When Football Was Football. Where did you come up with a title like that? Ooh, that is a great question. This goes back a few centuries to when the book came out. <laughs> and uh, slightly before the Battle of the Alamo, and I was working on this book. And it was intriguing to me because I was doing the history of both the NFL and the Chicago Cardinals at the time. And I was just always amazed because I was new to the field at how different things were when I would hear about how the Cardinals and the Eagles would shovel off the field for the 1948 NFL championship game that was full of snow and that these guys had to work part-time jobs during the season and provide their own shoes or cleats as they were called then. So I was thinking of a title that would work And uh, in Chicago, we have an infamous highway called the Dan Ryan Expressway. Some call it the miniature 500 because of the cars tend to exceed the speed limit. And so it's often difficult to concentrate. But I was in a fog coming back from work, heading out to the south suburbs from downtown Chicago. And I was thinking, what what could I name this book? Not simply the Cardinals in the NFL, and then I was thinking, man, I remember some of this stuff. That's when these guys would do this. That's they had it. When these guys played, when when they played football and it came to me driving, <laughs> this uh, three or four cars were trying to hurdle me. They go that fast. And I thought, man, when football was football, that's it. And so I'd ask the publisher, what did they think? They loved it. They thought that was great. 
that epitomizes what it was like for way back then for these guys to play football the way it was meant to be. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right, but I thought the title stuck and it's always been kind of a nice thing to lean back on. And when you say when football was football, it immediately takes you back a few decades to when the game first started. Oh, absolutely. I know. I, I'm not sure what everybody else thinks, but I, when I hear that title, I think of, you know, I think exactly what you're trying to describe. You know, those days when uh, players were out there as two-way players in a single platoon system and, you know, they had to be able to do everything, you know, play offense, play de- defense, and they're tired, you know, too bad, stay out there on the field. And uh, they really had to be in shape and uh, really took a beating on their bodies, I'm sure. It did, and I was doing some research on microfilm the other day and looking up again, old football stuff for another project. And there was a picture of a Chicago bear with his leather helmet without a strap and a real flimsy shoulder pads. And he was holding one of these old metal water ladles where you dip it into a communal bucket and you drink out of the same big old metal spoon or whatever. And I thought, man, that would have been a perfect picture for the cover. Everybody would know exactly what you're talking about. All right. Yeah. Gosh, those, those had to be some days to play in. I'll tell you, or even to be a fan of and watch. uh, Even the fans had to be tough back then because you played in some very inclement weather. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and Chicago with the both stadiums at the time, uh, not too far from the lake, those winds would hollow and blow, blow right through them. So some of the more innovative Chicago fans, they would tend to set fire to the bleachers to keep warm. And of course, <laughs> not many people there. It was okay at the time. <laughs> uh, that's definitely where they put them in the hot seat, I guess, right? <laughs> that's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Well, we have a, a, a great, a big task today because we have the number 31, 101 years of the NFL to look back at and in the AFL, we can throw in there too. And the best players that wore the number 31, and there are some quite some substantial players that uh, wore number 31 over the 101 years. And uh, we always start off with the hall of fame and the hall of fame, pro football hall of fame gives us four players that wore number 31, according to their records. Uh, Donnie shell, who is just going in uh, this coming year, uh, Jim Taylor, uh, Ace Parker, and Mike Mahalski uh, all wore the number 31, according to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And maybe that's a good place for us to start uh, in our quest to try to find our top 10 best number 31s. Well, I'd love to start with a guy named uh, Ace Parker. And his real name is Clarence McKay Parker. Uh, we call him the last of the triple threats. And again, we're going back to when football was football. As we talked previously, he could run, he could pass, he could receive, return kicks, he could kick extra points, he could do it all. But Ace originally did not want to be a football player. We're going to get to our first great trivia the night after this one, and I promise to be quiet, Darren. But uh, (laughs) with Ace, wanted to play pro baseball. And so he was a major league baseball player and way back in in the 30s. And the trivia about Duke's Uh, Ace Parker um, was the fact that he was the very first, very first American League baseball player to hit a pinch hit home run in his first major league at bat. So how's that for a football Hall of Famer? Wow. He's got that great record for baseball, too. No wonder he was a triple threat if he was uh, quite the athlete. Oh, he was. Yeah. And and he was uh, one of those guys, of course, who could 
play under all sorts of circumstances. I remember uh, a quote about him from Giants owner Tim Mira, who said one time in 41 that you can kick Ace Parker in the head and you can break down both his ankles, but you can never hurt his heart. <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a high compliment, high praise from uh, yeah. uh, the owner of the Giants. From wow, owner, yeah. That's a so he was, big. like I said, uh, as, as you know, a triple threat um, in a couple of extraordinary years on his way to the Hall of Fame. Uh, in different years, he led the league in, in passing yardage. Uh, he also, on defense, led the league in interceptions one year with eight of them. He was MVP in 1940. And just an example of how extraordinary that Ace Parker was. In 1940, he had 817 passing yards, which is a lot. Back then, they didn't pass too much. Right. Uh, 306 rushing yards. He caught another 139 receiving yards. He did a lot of the kicking and also kicked 19 of 22 extra points all in 1940. And so he was named the league's most valuable player back then. He was uh, all pro six times. And of course, uh, one of the last, I shouldn't say the last, but uh, was still a bit uncommon then to play two major league sports at the time or professional sports. So uh, he played baseball in 37 and 38. And then enjoyed uh, not a real long pro football career, but enough that he named was named the Pro Hall, uh, Football Hall of Fame in 1972. Wow, that's uh, quite a quite an accomplished uh, football player and baseball player to to have all those. I mean, that's uh, quite a litany list of um, positions that he played and uh, assignments he had on a football field. Yeah, he hey. was all over the place. Apparently, he was like George Halas, who also tried Major League Baseball. 20 years earlier, and neither of them could hit the curveball. <laughs> That's uh, been a problem for even Major League Baseball players. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I don't know about you, but I think uh, Ace Parker, just by that description, you sold me. I think he ought to be on our, our list of uh, top 10. I think we can yeah, mark that, that right now. Yeah, he'd be a good one, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, even I though he only was... wore, wore the number for one year, I show in 1945. I mean, just uh, be a, that outstanding of an athlete and all these accomplishments, he deserves to be on that list. He would be, yes. Yes, I agree. Yeah, all of right, course, what, a couple what, other guys wore, wore the uh, jersey for their entire careers. I, I don't know if you've spotted that on, on your list, but uh, maybe we could talk about a couple of those guys who uh, wore sure. it for 14 or 15 years. Absolutely. Wherever you would like to go. Well, you want to talk about Donnie Schell, uh, another Hall of Famer, which we mentioned. Let me start with Aaron Glenn. Aaron, I think, was uh, a guy that looked like he wore the jersey for 15 years. And since we're talking about the number 31, he is one of many defensive backs we'll talk about today. Only 5'9 and 185 and uh, went to Texas A&M and came out. Uh, Played, uh, played for the Jets, played for Houston, played for Dallas, ended up with Jacksonville. But uh, when he retired, he was on the, I think, 71st all-time with 41 interceptions. Once returned an interception, 100 yards. Returned six of them for touchdowns. So he was a, a significant impact on defense. All th three times all-pro. And um, one time was second in the league in kick return average. So Again, Aaron Glenn, um, did I say Hall of Fame? He wasn't in the Hall of Fame. I apologize. But uh, a guy who not, not yet anyway. Long, yeah, long time <laughs> career. Uh, and had a, one of his uh, 100 yard interception one time. So uh, pretty, pretty deadly force despite his size. 
And he had uh, 639 uh, tackles, uh, both combination and solo tackles as his total. Yeah. So, so he definitely would hit people after they caught the ball if they did catch it on him. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, A very six, trusted defender. And when you say, you know, six touchdowns returned uh, from, you know, a defensive back, that's quite a lot for a career. Yeah, it is. It is. Now you're in the upper echelons with, with that type of performance. Yeah. So he, we might be talking about him in the hall of fame one day. Cause he yeah, has some pretty good so. numbers. I think, I think his numbers are there to uh, get some consideration. Yeah. And he just, uh, his last year played was 2008. So he's not uh, too far out of the league. So maybe yeah, they'll think yeah. about him soon. So, well, you mentioned another name that's real near and dear to my heart. Uh, somebody I grew up watching and uh, Donnie shell. Yeah. So if you, you want to go ahead and talk about him, I, I can listen about him all day long. Another <laughs> defensive back and uh, uh, a nice career, of course, with Pittsburgh, which uh, may ring a bell for you, Darren. Um, Absolutely. Six times all pro. And I liked him for our exercise tonight because he did wear 31. It looks like his entire career. Uh, member of the Steel Curtain. So you'll recall those guys. Uh, yes. And he was a, a strong safety, despite, again, not real big, 5'11", 190. And uh, he was the uh, career leader for strong safeties in interception when he retired. He might still be with 51. And, and as we said earlier, he'll be going into the Hall of Fame or just went into the Hall of Fame in 2020, which I believe will be inducted this, this year. Yeah, correct. That's correct. Uh, he, I mean, the thing that's amazing about him, he was part of that 1974 Steelers draft class, which it's got to be probably the, the greatest draft class in NFL yeah. history. Uh, I mean, I don't even think, uh, actually, I don't think Donnie Shell might have not been drafted. He might have been a free agent pickup that year that they, they did, a uh, free agent rookie. You know, and you had, uh, I believe, uh, Stallworth, um, it was a John Kolb, uh it was either Kolb or Webster. It was one of the, one of the, the Hall of Fame linemen they had on their on that team. Um, I think Stallworth and uh, Jack Lambert might have been that class too. There, there was like four of them that all went in are in the Hall of Fame currently from that oh, 1974 amazing. class. So that was that was quite the uh, pick. And eight. Uh, that was one of uh, another gentleman that's going in the Hall of Fame that had the Steeler connection, Bill Nunn. Uh, Bill Nunn sort of discovered Donnie Shell. Uh, so he was, he was very, um, much into going down South and checking out the the players down there, especially the African-American players. And, uh, you know, you know, everything was kept hush hush back then with the scouts, you know, there wasn't a lot of, uh, ESPNs or anything talking about how people were doing. And, uh, so people like Bill Nunn would go down there and, uh, get, get the beat on some of these guys and, uh, get them in the the Steelers Mm -hmm. organization. Yeah, and from some of the smaller schools like South Carolina State normally doesn't line up against Penn State. So some excellent scouting there to put together that type of team and that type of defense. Yeah, I think uh, John Stallworth had a similar story that uh, Nunn ended up uh, having film on on Stallworth. And one of the, they, each team only had, the colleges only had like one reel of tape and they, Bill Nunn got a hold of it and somebody else was asking for it. And <laughs> I guess he sort of called him on the phone and said, Hey, I think I, I don't have it. I think I lost it. And so nobody knew about John Stallworth either in the, oh, the draft. They yeah. didn't know, they didn't know the whole story about John Stallworth, let's say, yeah. but uh, 
Yeah, Bill Bill Nunn, another one going in this year into the Hall of Fame. Uh, but he we I think we lost him a few years ago, so he'll have to be represented by a family member, I guess, mm-hmm. to go in. Okay, uh, so I think uh, well, both those gentlemen you just talked about, Donnie Shell and Aaron Glenn, I think they are both uh, worthy going on our list too. If you you're in agreement, I agree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We have some good ones today, so it may be difficult, but I like right. the way that we're looking so far. Yeah, you get these guys like like Aaron Glenn, Donnie Shell, and uh, Ace Parker. Those are slam dunks. Mm-hmm. All right, what direction would you like to go to next? Let me switch off and maybe maybe talk about another old timer, uh, Mike sure. Mikulski. Okay, he played for Green Bay way back when, starting uh, with the uh, the New York Yankees, and he, he was a teammate of Red Grange. Uh, ah. Way back when in the old New York Yankees team of the AFL, I believe. Um, and just uh, another uh, really good lineman. He played guard, tackle, linebacker, wherever they needed him. But he was mo- known mostly as a guard. In fact, I've seen some quotes about Mike calling him the guard of the century. And there was he was on the old 1920s decade team as well. So he played for a guy named Hugo Bezdek at Penn State, I believe. Did he go to Penn State? Yeah, he went to Penn State. Yeah, he went to Penn State. And Hugo Bezdek is another good trivia question. Um, You and I may have talked about him before, but Hugo Bezdek, uh, who was a a player for the original Chicago Cardinals, played for them as a professional in about 1901 when they were called the uh, Morgan Athletic Association, Morgan Athletic Club. Then he went to the University of Chicago. So he played pro before he played college, which would have been a no-no if anyone knew. The problem was everybody knew. So, uh, <laughs> But Hugo was known for his coaching uh, throughout his career. And he's the only man in history to co- be the head coach of an NFL team as well as a manager of a Major League Baseball team. So um, Mike played for him at Penn State, I believe. And that's another really obscure piece of trivia that no one really needs to know. But let's talk about Mike. Uh, (laughs) Seven times All-Pro, made the Hall of Fame in 1964. And as I mentioned, called the guard of the century. Uh, Another Packer uh, talked about him once and, and said he was just a guy who would move his feet very fast. He wasn't one, even though he was in the line of guard, he would start movement before his opponent or his adversary had a chance to, to get in position, whether it be on offense or defense. So everyone said he was a great defender. Clark Kinkle, a running back for the Packers, said on defense, he was always one step ahead of the offense. As a blocker, he always gave me 110%. He was all muscle. And in our day, you had to be a knockdown blocker, not a stand-up blocker like today. And besides that, he was a very fine man. But uh, a lot of the good quotes about about Mike uh, can be traced back to teammates or others who played against him. Uh, talked about how he hit a guy so hard that the guy had been injured earlier in the game, had a big bandage wrapped around his head. And when uh, Mike hit him, the whole bandage flew off and he said it looked like a, a refugee from a revolutionary war camp. Uh, <laughs> he had the headband on <laughs> In fact, it was a description by Red Cagle. I said, he said, yeah, I can still see uh, Mike. And this guy was coming at him. And all of a sudden, wham, here comes Mike flying through the air with a typical old-fashioned tackle. He hit him above the knees. And from that side, all I can recall is that vivid picture of the bandage around his head slowly settling to the ground. 
and Mike had literally cut him out from underneath it. So he's apparently a very hard hitter. I wish we had movies of these guys. Uh, we can only read about the quotes that came about later in life. I'm sure they've been embellished, but I'm never one to question it when I read about the players from the 20s. I have them in such huge admiration for what they played under their conditions and having to work all day, then come to practice and go away on the weekend for games and for not very much money either. But uh, Mike seems to be one of the greatest Packers, and uh, I think he might be able to be on our list. He's, of course, in the Hall of Fame and uh, enjoyed, again, a long career in the trenches from 27 to 37. And another one of those uh, folks that you kind of look up to and wish you could have seen him play. That would have been kind of good. Even Johnny, uh, Johnny Blood McNally said he was a tremendous football player. Uh, he was as great as any football player Green Bay ever had. He had fast reflexes. He would start moving before his opponent, like his other teammates said. And he was just indispensable to the team. So Don Hudson, the great Hall of Fame men, said the people who really enjoyed his ability were other players. He was a football player's football player. And I can't say this strongly enough. So that's that's my pitch on Mike for our top 10 tonight. Well, I think you definitely convinced me. He has come up because he's wore quite a few numbers and he's come up a lot recently. And there isn't a whole lot of statistics for alignment and even yeah. defense alignment for, for that era. And so it's hard to, for some of us uh, when we were talking about it. So I'm glad you came on and you had uh, so much history on him because we really never knew to rank him or not. And he didn't wear any particular number for a long period of time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree he should be on that list. But before we get off of him, uh, you had a little bit of trivia on Coach Bezdick, and I thought yes. you were going to go in this direction. But maybe I have some trivia for you. Um, you know, Coach Bezdick, you know, played at the University of Chicago, like you talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, very famous coach here, Amos Alonzo Stag was his coach, and we had. Uh, Jennifer Taylor Hall, who wrote the book on Amos Alonzo Stagg. Oh, great book. Yes. Yes. And uh, she was on uh, about um, three weeks ago and she talked about uh, a happening that uh, occurred in March because we were talking about uh, March occurrences with uh, associated with Coach Stagg. And in March of, I believe, 1910, uh, Amos Alonzo Stagg and his quarterback at the time, and the name escapes me, uh, they went down to Arkansas where uh, Bezdick just started coaching. He was like one year graduated oh, wow. from, from college. And in 1910, they, they learned the uh, forward pass from Amos Alonzo Stagg. And actually they held almost like a clinic and developed many of the routes in the route trees that we know today. Uh, huh. Coach Bezdick and Amos Alonzo Stagg and the, the gang down there did in Arkansas yeah. that uh, one March day or weekend. So that, that, that was my little trivia on Coach Bezdick. That is good. And of course, as you probably heard from Jennifer and her excellent book with incredible pictures, by the way, or photos, I should say, uh, yeah. all the innovations that Stag unleashed on the football world. And yeah, he's amazing. The time, of course, he coached is amazing. Sure is. Sure is. Okay. Well, I digress. I'm sorry I got us off topic a little <laughs> bit. Okay. So we have uh, a. We have four players that we've put on our top 10 list already. Uh, Donnie Shell, Aaron Glenn, Ace Parker, and Mike Mahalski are already on our list. And where would you like to go next with our direction? We have a lot of defensive backs. I could mention a, a couple real quick who maybe are on the fringes. Okay. One would be uh, Doug Klein. 
played for Houston um, way back in the in the sixties. Two times all AFL. Uh, nice numbers. I mean, uh, probably more of a defender, I think, than linebacker than one on offense. But he wore the number well, and uh, we might be able to consider him. Uh, his career was not that long, and it looked like it was strictly in the AFL, which, uh, of course, we're not worried about. And as I mentioned, made twice made, named to the AFL team um, way back then with Houston. Uh, second guy was uh, Antonio Cromarty. Oh, yes. And he's got a, a nice little piece of trivia here. Uh, started in 2019, uh, excuse me, 2006. <laughs> career lasted about 10 years. Um, led the league in interceptions with 10 in 2007. And he is credited, despite also being in four Pro Bowls, but to this day, I believe, in 2007, he returned a missed field goal for 109 yards, which is the longest play in NFL history. You can't get much farther than 109 yards. So uh, that's something that uh, he he will probably always have. Uh, Led the league, as I said, with interceptions one year with 10 in 2007. Pro, four, four Pro Bowls and, uh, you know, a solid player. Will he be in our top 10? I'm not sure. I just wanted to throw out another piece of interesting trivia that he is the owner of the longest play in NFL history. That that's We had a, a coverage on that. I forget which day of the year it happened on, but I ah. remember that story. And we had a, a podcast devoted to that that play. I'll have to go back and re-listen to that again because it uh, it was quite an exciting play. Yeah. So yeah, I do remember that. Now he he ended up having 31 interceptions in his career, uh, and that's that's not uh, you know that's no small number there for a defensive back. You know, so yeah. he was good range uh, not only on returning the longest uh, play in NFL history, but uh, defending passes as well. And he's a little taller than some of the defenders we talked about. He was six two. Um, could see the field well. Obviously, he had some speed. So, um, you know, a, a decent player. I mean, when you make the Pro Bowl four times, you know what you're doing. Yeah, that's definitely true. Definitely true. All right. Um, do you want to continue talking about some more DBs, or do you want to go in a different direction? Yeah, let's see. Um, I wanted to talk, because I'm anxious to talk about this guy, is Jim Taylor. Oh, yes. And, uh, the crushing fullback for the Green Bay Packers, which meant there's a kid growing up in Chicago. I didn't like Jim Taylor, but you, <laughs> you couldn't help but admire him. And then as you, you learn more about the guy, and I have this picture in my head of this crew cut, this guy with this stone face and this crew cut, knocking people over. And one of my favorite stories I ever heard about Jim Taylor was the famous Packers sweep. It was an operation in a game, and Taylor had the ball and decided instead of going around, then he'd go through everybody. He scored, but Vince Lombardi, the coach, said, hey, Jim, how come you didn't use the sweep? He said something like, yeah, well, sometimes you got to make them feel a little pain. <laughs> and I thought, whoa, this, is a, this guy could have been in football when football was football. <laughs> and he was the first of the uh, Lombardi Packers to be named to the Hall of Fame. 
I'm sorry. Oh, no problem. I just say, as you were describing that, that your recollection of the picture of him, I'm looking at his stats on pro football reference and they have a picture of him and he's got the crow, crew cut, the, the stone face and you know, the big square jaw. And he looks pretty, pretty mean, just uh, sitting there in a still photo. That's uh, 50 years old. You know? Oh man. Yes. He just, he just looked like a football player. And he would, he would fit in very well without a face mask in that era. <laughs> but apparently he was a trash talker too before that became popular. And there was a story about how one time the Packers and the Rams played and five guys deliberately jumped him when he had the ball and just really pummeled him. And he got up and kind of shook off and he said, uh, nice hustle guys. <laughs> that was it. No retribution. <laughs> when you're outnumbered, I guess you try to say things yeah. nice, <laughs> but well, I, I see here he, he was, was a league MVP one year also. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And he had a great rushing uh, year. I think that was probably 62. He gained almost 1,500 yards, scored 19 touchdowns, averaged over 100 yards a game. So um, when he retired, he actually was one of the league leaders, I believe, in history uh, for rushing. Because at one time he led the league in rushing, touchdowns, and yards per game. Um, So, yeah, he had uh, quite a solid and – very conventional career until his last season when he surprised Lombardi and everybody by opting out of free agency and going down and playing with New Orleans, which Lombardi was furious, I guess. So that's where he ended his career. So obviously a free thinker as well. I guess so. But so he was the first of Lombardi's Packers to make the Hall of Fame. That's a, yeah, that's an interesting yeah. trivia question. Maybe mm-hmm. you're sitting on a bar stool with you know, sports <laughs> trivia. You can answer. So very yeah, some good numbers uh, carried 1,941 times for 8,597 yards and 83 touchdowns. But he was also the first to have five straight seasons with at least a thousand yards rushing. Impressive. Very impressive. I, I think uh, with everything you said there, I think uh, he's going to be our, our four, go four for four with our Hall of Famers being on our <laughs> list because I'm, I'm pretty impressed by that. Yeah, I think Jim deserves it. Uh, he's probably earned it. So uh, we'll I go ahead with so. him. Any guy with, a, any guy with a crew cut who likes to go <laughs> run through <laughs> defenders instead of around them, I like. Yeah, just looking at his picture, I'm afraid of the picture not to put him on the list. <laughs> Those numbers. He could come back to haunt us. That's right. <laughs> All right. So that takes up five of our spots here uh, on our, our list here. Um, do you have anybody you'd like to talk about next? Well, I do have to talk about a Chicago Bear that would be Joe Fortunato. And that's okay. another guy who had that look of an old-time football player. He was a linebacker. In fact, uh, when he retired after the 66 season, he had the Bears team record for, I think, most fumbles recovered, which were 22 during his career. And that was bettered by a young man from Chicago's South Side called Dick Butkus. (laughs) Butkus broke that record. But uh, Fortunato uh, spent his entire 12 years with the Bears, five times all pro named one of the 300 greatest players in the NFL history, which brings us to the question why he is not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He was named to the 1950s All-Decade team, and apparently he is the only defender on that team that is not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So he had a long career, rarely missed a game, 
went from that 12-game season to the 14-game season, started every game, it looks like. Rarely, yeah. rarely out of the lineup. And, uh, tough linebacker, always a, a good ball hawk. And, uh, again, probably one that might be able to make our list and maybe the Pro Football Hall of Fame would consider Joseph Francis Fortunato as a possible future member of the Hall of Fame. I would agree with you. And I'm just looking at his games versus games started. And I only see where he missed two game, two starts in his whole career. And that was yeah. 1957. He had a 12 game schedule and only started 10 games. Everything else matches up. So yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's quite the uh, rugged individual to be able to start with those uh, monsters of the midway for that long. Oh yeah. And he was part of that linebacking succession. You think of Butkus and Singletary, the, the guys that were there for years and years. They always seemed to have someone to fall into place and take over for the uh, for the monsters. Hmm. Well, very very interesting, very convincing case for him. Uh, but I, we got five spots, so maybe we ought to put him on a standby list and come back. To sure. Him. Yeah. So, but the, he's definitely got some uh, intriguing qualities here to be on the list. Okay. Uh, would you like to talk about somebody else next or do you want me to mention somebody? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. I, somebody, this is a guy, you know, you were talking earlier that uh, you didn't really like when Jim Taylor came to town, you know, being uh, from Chicago and he was a Packer. Well, you know, being a, a child of the seventies, I didn't like it when the Raiders played my Steelers and Jack Tatum. Was oh, on that team. Yeah. And Jack Tatum wore that number 31 and, uh, really did some damage to people, you know, in his career as a defensive back, he had that 37 interceptions. Uh, he uh, was just, uh, seems like he, he just loved to hit. <laughs> I mean, loved to hit anything that was uh, running around. I wish I had, I don't have his uh, tackles. I was trying to look for it on our friends from uh, pro football journal, but I didn't get the statistic on that. Usually they have some good ones on there, but I, I can remember him being a part of many a tackle uh, much to the chagrin of the opponents of the Raiders, but he just had that whole uh, Raiders persona, you know, just uh there's a bunch of them that had that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They were just, they loved being the bad guys and they loved hitting and they loved playing good, hard nosed football. And Jack Tatum was a big part of that. Apparently, in his very first game as a pro, he knocked two players out on the Colts with his oh. hard hits. And so that got him his uh, early nickname and reputation, apparently, but on his way to making three Pro Bowls during his career. Yeah, he so he's another one that you know I'd like to mark and maybe come back to because definitely a, a tough hombre there. Uh, I guess another defensive back you know worth mentioning and a little bit. Uh, some of our listeners may remember him, Frank Minifield. Uh, he oh, had yeah. a, a real nice career. Played with the Cleveland Browns his whole career from 1984 to 1992. He was another one that, as a Steelers fan, he was kind of a a pain in the the butt, you know, <laughs> to play against. And uh, you know, 20 interceptions he had in 122 games. Uh, you know, returned those for 124 yards. Uh, just seemed to always be around the ball in one of those uh, sort of shutdown corners at the time. For the Browns, four Pro Bowls, was all pro once and was on the all 1980s team uh, for the NFL. So, so it's impressive numbers there, too. Yeah. And he, again, was uh, fairly small, 5'9", 180. And uh, he was one of the, I don't know if you call him a pioneer innovator, but he used that 
bump and run coverage that they could get away with on receivers and uh, use that to his advantage. But trivia about Frank, we found out his son actually played named Chase played in the NFL for Washington. I didn't look up to see how, how long he played, but it's kind of unusual with the NFL player and then a family member following suit. Right. Oh, look it up right now. Oh, while you're talking here, let's see what we can find on Chase Minifield here. Of course, yeah, I- Frank also made the 84 all rookie team, as you mentioned, during his nine years with uh, with Cleveland, four Pro Bowls. Um, quite the outstanding career. 20 interceptions for 124 yards. It looks like Chase uh, Minifield played for two years. Uh, he had a year missed in between. He played 2012 and 2014 uh, for the Washington Redskins. Oh. So it was a de- defensive back. So followed in his father's footsteps a little bit. Wow. Neat. So just curious, did that list how what his height and weight was? Oh, you know what? I just, uh, just shut it down. I think he was like, my, I think he was six one, if I remember correctly. Okay. I, just, I just clicked it off. Sorry about that. Oh, no, no. Not important. Okay, uh, so I, I mean, I think uh, maybe uh, I'm not sure if Minifield's going to make our, our list here because we've got some good ones, but maybe well, I'll put a little mark by him. Maybe we can talk about him later also. Did you have somebody uh, else you'd like to talk about? Yeah, here's a guy that had a relatively short career that was, was curtailed by injury, was Priest Holmes. Oh, yeah, he was a good one. Uh, played for Baltimore and Kansas. Made the all-pro team three times, but he had one really spectacular year where he was the uh, NFL offensive player in the year, I believe it was 2001 or 2002. Uh, his rushing yards from uh, 2001 to 2003 were 1555, 1615, and 1240, along with a combined 56 touchdowns over those three seasons. So, but he, 2003 was really his last full season and uh, he had the next in, neck injury. He had to sit out the 2006 campaign, tried to come back in 2007. It just didn't work, but the team thought enough about him in 2014 to name him to the Kansas city chiefs hall of fame, which is a, a quite a nice honor for a guy who uh, wasn't able to play that long because of his injury. Yeah, uh, Oz Davis was on uh not too long ago. And we mentioned uh, uh, Priest Holmes as he was talking about uh, running backs that they were sort of maybe overused and uh, shortened their career. And oh, if you look yeah. at his uh, first three years in Kansas city, where he had all the yardage and he was rushing uh, 327 rushes, 313 rushes, 320 rushes. And I wonder if maybe yeah. uh, Oz has a point there. Maybe they just uh, burned him out from, you know, taking the pounding that, that often. Yeah, and that's a lot of rushes for a 14-hour, 16-game schedule. So, yeah, oh, they use them quite a bit. Yeah, that's for sure. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, he's he's got some strong uh, contention. You know, I, well, what do you think? Should he be on our list now? Because, he, I mean, that's some pretty good numbers for a running back. I think he would be, yeah. I, okay, I, I agree. Uh, you know, yeah, those touchdown numbers, too. 27 in one year. That's that's really impressive. It sure is. There's some quarterbacks that don't get that passing in a year. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a that's a real good uh good player there. So yeah, we'll put him on there. So he's our sixth uh spot taken up of our 10. Um, what direction would you like to go to next, Joe? 
Well, we could maybe talk about we have a lot of uh, defensive backs and running backs with this number, but another one that you may want to talk about is Wilbert Montgomery. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. he's a good one. Philadelphia Eagles. Right. He, uh, I mean, he, another kind of a, a smallish back, five foot 10, 196 pounds. I guess that's a lot of weight for, for back then, but a little bit shorter back. And that's, you know, probably helped him out a little bit. Could squat behind those big linemen a little bit, yeah. but, uh, end up having what 6,789 yards rushing on 1500, uh, over 1500 carries, uh, 45 touchdowns, a 4.4 yard per carry average. That's pretty darn good in the NFL. It is. Yes. That, that almost gets you a first down and two downs, you know, that's, <laughs> that's real good, but he had a, a real interesting career too. Uh, but I mean, here, here's just a, we were talking about the amount of rushes. Now uh, Montgomery only had one season where, and I think it was under Dick Vermeil in 79 when the, the Eagles made their first uh, Super Bowl. Uh, he had 338 rushes that year, all the other years he was, uh, you know, well, well down in the two hundreds and below 200. And that, uh, he had a real a much longer career for a running back 1977 mm-hmm. to 1985 and had some great successes there. What, what impressed me about his career was the amount of passes he caught too. That he had uh, uh, several years where he really had a ton of passes on receiving because uh, 84, he caught 60. He was uh, at 50 in 1980. So Wow, he, he was able to put up some big numbers at both positions. I mean, doing both things, running and receiving. Yeah, 273 career receptions, 12 touchdowns off those, uh, just over 2,500 yards receiving. That's real mm-hmm. good for a back. So, hmm. I'm kind of thinking maybe maybe he might make our top 10 list. I, you know, you, uh, you are, I think you might be right there. I think I'm, I'm convinced right now if you are. So I, I yeah, yeah. You. Yeah, real good, good nice choice there. So there's seven of our, our gentlemen have uh, filled the list here. And you want to talk about a couple more of these DBs that had some long careers sure. wearing 31? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I've got one. Uh, Kevin Ross wore the number uh, for uh, 14 seasons, defensive back. Uh, he played his whole career. Oh, I'm sorry. Most of his career in Kansas city, 11 years there, two years with Atlanta and, uh, one with the San Diego chargers. And he ended up having, uh, 38 interceptions, uh, for that oh. lengthy career. So that's pretty good. 204 games. He, he started and two touchdowns off of interceptions. And we do have some tackle numbers on him. 1099, uh, tackles. Wow. That's real good for a defensive back, wow. especially 84 through 97. He played. And here's a little trivia about Kevin Ross that he is, I think one of only three players in the franchise history that scored touchdowns in four different ways. Uh, wow, he scored really? an interceptions, a field goal return, fumble recovery, and a block punt recovery. Wow, that's a an interesting four different ways, also. Yeah, it is not not the usual ones, and and he also was named to the Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame and twice an All Pro. So he's got some uh, decent numbers. He was around for a while, right? And and he, uh, I mean, we said he wore the number thirty one for uh, fourteen seasons. He also wore yeah. thirty six for three seasons. That just tells you how long he played. A long this. career, and again, not a big man. Five nine, one eighty five. So uh, he was in the middle of it, obviously, with all his returns and his tackles. Each, it's a lot yeah, of tackles, and two Pro Bowls to his credit, too. Yeah. 
So I'm not sure he's going to make it there, but another one that we can uh, maybe consider later. Uh, the other defensive back had some long tenure in the number 31 was Marcus Robinson, Robertson. I'm sorry, Marcus Robertson. Um, he played uh, from 1991 to 2002, uh, played with the Houston Oilers uh, slash Tennessee Oilers Titans. He might've been a Titan there too. He played from 1991 through uh, 2000 with that, that franchise. And in his last two years, he played with the Seattle Seahawks Uh, in his career. He ended up having uh, 24 interceptions, 458 return yards off the interceptions was pretty good. No touchdowns in 162 games and had uh, just under 800 uh, tackles on this to his credit. So yeah, one all pro season he had on there, but did not make the pro bowl, which is interesting. Oh, wow. Usually when you get an all pro, you at least have one pro bowl season. Yeah, you're there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, again, I'm not sure that uh, he'll make it to our list, but uh, just mm-hmm. another interesting uh, number, uh, number 31 that wore it for a while. Uh, another uh, interesting running back is uh, Jamal Lewis is on, on this list. And ah. he wore the number 31 for uh, 10 seasons and you know, most famously played for Baltimore and spent his last three years with the Cleveland Browns. And he was another real tough, hard-nosed runner, uh, you know, 5'11", 245. He was a little bowling ball and yeah. hard, to, hard to bring down and um, had, a, had a, made it to a Pro Bowl, was an all-pro one year. Uh, Super Bowl championship with the Ravens, Hall of Fame team of the all 2000s, and uh, the 2003 uh, Offensive Player of the Year. So, uh, so he's kind of an interesting subject. He has a lot of uh, accreditations to his name in his NFL career with that 31. Yeah, to be in the decade team, that might be a, a strong recommendation to be on the list tonight. Right, and a, a Player of the Year, Offensive Player of the yeah. Year, too, is uh, nothing too shabby. So, yeah, I, I definitely think he's got some consideration uh, to possibly making our list here. I have another running back who had a rather short career of six or seven years was Amos Marsh, who played in the 60s. He's with, uh, with Dallas and Detroit. Some, uh, some decent numbers, not outstanding. We don't have any all-pro accolades, but... He did leave the lead the NFL in 1962 in rushing average at 5.6 yards per carry, hmm. uh, which is kind of nice. He 144 rushes for 802 yards. He never did crack the 1,000 yard marker, but um, again, he spent seven years in the NFL and wore that number proudly. It looks like for his entire career. So we're um, we're looking at guys who wore 31. He did manage to score a. 33 touchdowns during those seven years as well. Yeah, that's impressive. Amos Marsh. Hmm. Another interesting one to talk about. All right. Um, I had one one other gentleman that had a lengthy time. Um, gosh, now I lost him. Oh, here he is. Al Harris uh, wore the number 31 for 14 seasons. Oh, yeah. Uh, great defensive back. Uh, most famously, I remember him with Philadelphia and Green Bay, and that's where most of his career was. Seven years with Green Bay, five years with the Eagles, and uh, cups of coffee with the uh, Dolphins in uh, St. Louis Rams at the time. And he was uh, an interesting character. He ended up having a 21 interceptions, 407 yards returned, three touchdowns off those interceptions, uh, made uh, two Pro Bowls in his career. 
but a real nice long career for a defensive back when you have 14 seasons. Yeah, and they loved him in Green Bay, apparently. When he left town, they were actually sad. He took out a full-page ad in the paper and thanked the city for accommodating him and being so nice to him and his family, apparently. So he's uh, currently a coach, I think, an assistant coach with the Cowboys. But, yeah, he had his... uh, Again, a, a tough defender, 6'1", 190, a little bigger. Again, used the bump and run and didn't make the pro ball, as we said, two times. So a, a nice career for Al Harris over five uh, five different teams, it looked like. Yeah. Yeah, he, a real nice career. That's a real good size yeah. for a defensive back, you know. Yeah. Gosh, gosh yeah, teams would kill for six foot one uh, defensive backs right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was a real good size. Uh, like I said, I don't know that he's going to make our list, but just another word worth mentioning because he was substantial to, to his teams. Uh, I guess another one probably we ought to talk about here is uh, Brock Marion. He was an interesting character too, a defensive back. He had 31 interceptions uh, to his credit, 527 yards returned off those three touchdowns, three Pro Bowls, and was on two Super Bowl teams. Uh, Dallas Cowboys, I believe, were both of those because the rest of his career was in Miami. Uh, so six years with Miami, five with the Dallas Cowboys of the 90s. Uh, so a, a Jimmy Johnson-era uh, cornerback. Oh, yeah. He had a great year in 2001 with uh, 227 yards and interception returns, along with a couple of touchdowns and 100-yard return. So uh, he also returned kicks. Led the league in 1999 with 16, uh, 62 returns for over 1,500 yards. So kind of a dual threat there on defense and on returns. Yeah, and some, something that really jumps out on his stats is in 1997, he had a total of 117 tackles. 100 of those were solo tackles. Oh, yeah. And remember, this is a <laughs> defensive back. That's, that's outstanding. That's like linebacker yeah. numbers. <laughs> He was either being picked on or the other teams didn't realize he was for real. So I guess not. <laughs> but easily the best numbers of his career in terms of solo tackles. I wonder, was that 97? Would that have been when uh, Deion Sanders was on the Cowboys? Maybe they were throwing away from Sanders and uh, mm, throwing, be, throwing his yeah. way a little bit more. Maybe that's where he's yeah. getting a lot of the numbers because his numbers really like spike that year for some reason. I bet you that's part of what it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you have anybody else you want to mention before uh, we get into our uh, deliberations of our? No, our... I think I'm good. Thanks for uh, putting up with my babbling. Uh, with, <laughs> no, with your stories are old, great. We timers. Oh, I we appreciate it. No, we love the stories. We love to hear that. You have some great information. All right. Well, let's just to review. We've got seven spots already filled up. Uh, we have Donnie Shell, Aaron Glenn, Jim Taylor, uh, Wilbert Montgomery, Priest Holmes, Ace Parker. And Mike Mahalski is our, our seven people we've already put on our list. Um, so we got three more to choose from. And ones we said we were going to come back to is uh, Jack Tatum, Frank Minifield, Marcus Robertson, Kevin Ross, Jamal Lewis, Joe uh, Fortunato, uh, Antonio Cromartie, uh, Al Harris, and uh, Doug Klein. I don't think I missed anybody there. Yeah. So we out of those gentlemen, we have to pick three to get them into our top ten. Well, I kind of like Joe Fortunato um, for his being on the All Fifties Decade team. Then we have somebody on the 
two thousands. Yeah, Jamal decade. Jamal Lewis. Yeah. So yeah, so maybe, maybe those. I, I think those two maybe. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think both those those guys should get on there. So that takes us up to a total of nine. So we have one more spot uh, from our, our folks that are left in there. And I'm sort of I'm a little torn here because you got a couple uh, good, real good uh, defending defensive backs. Uh, you know, Jack Tatum with his 37 interceptions jumps out. And you got Kevin Ross with 38 interceptions. Oh, sort of yeah. Those numbers really sort of stand out at you. But you also have uh, Antonio Cromartie, like you said, he had 31 interceptions, but he also had, you know, the longest uh, play in NFL history. <laughs> That's right. Yes, <laughs> it's almost sad to have to leave somebody out with those three. <laughs> well, we don't always have to. We can extend the list. Yeah. You know, it's it's our list, so we can do what we <laughs> want with right. it. <laughs> so, I so like I. That. I guess we don't have to split hairs. If we want to make it our top 12, we can do that too. All right. Maybe we should do that. I think they all have appealing numbers that would make them worthy of being on a top 10 list for the folks who wore the Jersey number 31. I I agree. Okay. We're going to, so it's our top 12. That's, uh, that's what we're (laughs) going to say about it. And uh, it's, it's written in stone now. (laughs) All right. There forever. That's right. That's right. Well, hey, that was that was a fun uh, project here. I appreciate you spending the time to do that with us. And before I let you go, uh, what do you have uh, cooking on uh, some of our future episodes of the uh, When Football Was Football podcast? Oh, thank you. Yes, a, a couple of good ones. Uh, we have Ollie Madsen on now. But coming up next, we're going to look at three very unusual players from the history of the Chicago Bears those would be three players who didn't always toe the line with Coach Ellis. And maybe they did something different, like stay out before a big game with the Chicago Cardinals. Uh, <laughs> maybe they decided to try professional wrestling or boxing. So these three unique individuals, uh, we'll, be, we'll be talking about them. And then for the episode after that, which will be released the same week as the NFL draft this year, we're going to look at the very first NFL draft and the very first NFL draftee, Jay Berwanger. When we talked about the University of Chicago before, right. we're going to take a look at what made him such a great player going back to his high school days and why he never played pro football, despite being the very first number one draft pick of the NFL draft in 1936. So he has really an interesting story, which uh, we're able to dig up some stuff and, uh, which is, of course, what you and I both enjoy, finding some of those little nuggets of information about these players and be able to share them with everybody. So that's, uh, I think you'll, everyone will enjoy the, the talk about Jay Berwanger. Yeah, that's, that does sound very interesting because we had a little bit, we touched a little bit about that, uh, uh, well, not, not about uh, Berwanger himself, but uh, we had Upton Bell on in February, and oh, his, his father good. was very much... Uh, sort of the, the biggest proponent of having the NFL yeah. draft. And uh, so that, that should be very interesting. I can't wait to hear that one. Mm-hmm. Your, uh, your Ollie Matson one. I just listened to that the other day. That was uh, quite excellent. I know you, we, hopefully we didn't spoil too much. We had you on, on uh, the day of the <laughs> Ollie Matson trade uh, back uh, yeah. early March or late February for when we had that, but uh, hopefully we didn't spoil too much of your, your, uh, the listeners, uh, from your talk on our show to, for your great episode on it. Oh, that was great. I enjoyed well, thank it. Thank <laughs> you. It was uh, great to talk with you about that. There was so much behind the scenes that I didn't know about. 
And then again, how it affected him later in life to where he finally said, I don't know if this was worth it for him and uh, uh, different things going on. But um, again, not many people get traded for nine different players. Yeah, that's uh, that's almost unheard of unless your name's like Herschel Walker or Holly Matson, yeah, I think. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Well, Joe, I appreciate your time and uh, your great stories, your trivia. Uh, I know we got you coming up for a few more episodes here real shortly, uh, probably the same week that this one airs. So we're looking uh, forward to hearing from you again real soon and uh, some more great NFL history. Uh, Thank you so much, Darren. And uh, always look forward to going back and talking about the players that made the game back when football was football. Oh, good segue. Good segue. <laughs> make, make, oh, hey, before I let you go, do you want to uh, call out your social media uh, IDs so people know how to follow you on, on uh, Twitter? Oh, sure, yeah. Okay. Okay, you, you have them handy? I don't have, I don't have your handy. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm ready. I mean, the, the Facebook thing? Uh, or, uh, yeah, your, fa- your Facebook or your, your Twitter handle. Okay, good. Yeah, and if uh, anyone would like to learn more about the early history of the Cardinals, specifically the Chicago Cardinals, we do have a Facebook page. To reach that, just look up Chicago Cardinals or go to facebook.com slash Chicago Cards, which is one word, and another slash. And we're also on Twitter, where our handle is at CardsChicago. And we try and, again, dig up little nuggets about the past and uh, always happy to share them. Always looking for folks who like to discuss if they had a relative or family or just something I'd like to talk about, about the old Cardinals. So we appreciate everyone uh, checking it out. And of course, thank you for listening to us tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, just, just to add some things, I mean, you got to check out uh, Joe's uh, and his his groups up there because some of the photographs of uh, the players and ticket stubs and programs, they're just uh, really take you back and uh, to a whole different era. Very interesting. I enjoy seeing those and hearing what you have to say uh, on your Twitter and Facebook pages. So make sure everybody checks those out. So Joe, uh, thanks again for joining us tonight. And we'll talk to you in just a, a few days here, a few more episodes. We'll talk to you about, uh, I believe you're on some of the low thirties and uh, we appreciate you coming on again. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. Thank you, Darren. Take care. We'll see you soon. Okay. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. A special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. It was just another ordinary day in the offices of the Pittsburgh Guardian newspaper circa 1924. But for Marla Delft, assistant editor, everything was about to change.
for she was about to discover the awesome attractiveness of Row 1 brand retro sports paraphernalia items thanks to Orville Mulligan, sports writer. And there it is. Wow, Orville, that's really the bee's knees. Isn't it just? A poster-sized replica of the actual 1909 World Series program cover. I can see that. But where did you get it? And where'd you get it framed? I ordered it from the Row 1 website, where over 6,000 items of sports memorabilia from the 1880s to the 1990s are available for reproduction in multiple sizes and in several different materials, with over a dozen styles of frame to choose from for prints like this. Well, I'm sure Mr. Delft would love to put up more of these in the office. But I'm equally as sure they're beyond this newspaper's budget. <laughs> Not at all, my dear Marla. See for yourself. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. Sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. Oh my, these are good prices. Oh, and look at this stuff. Oklahoma, Nebraska football. College basketball art. Michael Jordan items. And so Retro it was that Marla Delft discovered the spondiferous magic of Row 1 Sports Memorabilia Arts and Prints. You can, too, by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com slash row1. That's R-O-W number one today for access to the full Row 1 catalog of gallery prints and gifts like t-shirts, long-sleeve shirts, telephone cases, coffee mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Act today for a 15% discount off all prints with coupon code SHN15 and 20% off all other items with coupon code SHN20 at checkout. And keep your dial locked to the Sports History Network for the exciting chronicles of the 1920 sports world in Orville Mulligan, Sports Writer. Coming soon. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians, you'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast. <laughs> 